Hello everyone and welcome to the Unarmed and Harm podcast. I'm your host Diamond Host. Now I did miss the third episode two weeks ago. Um, it's because I had throat surgery, so I couldn't talk. But now we're officially back with the third episode of the Unarmed and Harm podcast. And again, I'm like I said, we're gonna jump into the forgotten souls and the life lost in the African American community. So today we're gonna talk about Trayvon Martin. So a little bit about Trayvon Martin was he was born on February 5th, 1995, and was an African-American student who lived in Florida at the time. He had no criminal record, but he attended public schools in the state where he lived. He had many hobbies and experiences that he liked to do, like skiing, horseback riding. He also took a trip to New York to take in the sights because we all know how beautiful New York is. And he also was a star student in his English class, being in honors, but his favorite subject was told to be math class. He wanted to become a pilot, that's something he was interested in, he had the potential to do it. But he also did have some trouble at times, um, and ended up re- receiving suspensions a couple of times. Now the second person involved in the incident that sadly took the life of Trayvon Martin was George Zimmerman. Now George was born on October 5th and he was a part-time student in college and at that time he was working at the Twin Lake Gated Community on Neighborhood Watch. It was a retreat. Starting off um, in February of 2012 was Martin was visiting his father after he had received the 10-day suspension and February went on We never knew the exact date when he was visiting his father, but on February 26th, it was said that George was on Neighborhood Watch when he called 911 because he suspected a suspicious person around the gated community. The police words to him was to not get out the vehicle, and and instead, he disregarded their instructions. And for that matter, he went to investigate the suspicious person on his own, and not even moments later, the neighbors heard gunshots going off. George told the police that he only did it as a self-defense. Now, on February 27th, his dad ended up filing a missing person report and told the police that his son hasn't returned from the store, but they, but he did find out that his son passed when they showed a picture of the crime scene. Leading into March 12th, it has been said that George has not been charged because there is no grounds to basically disprove his versions of events. But it has been said that the detective, and his name was Christopher, have recommended Zinnerman to be charged with manslaughter because, in his words, that he failed to identify himself as a concerned citizen or neighborhood watch member on two occasions that night. It has been said that George had head injuries, were marginally consistent with the life-threatening episode as described by him, during which neither deadly weapon nor deadly force was deployed by Martin. Going into March 14th, the case was turned over by the Florida State Attorney. And then March 15th, Zinnerman's father writes that his son was basically being unfairly portrayed as racist and that he's Hispanic and grew up in a multicultural family. Personally, I just never knew what what was the meaning of like saying that because again, Martin was an African-American male and we know how African-American males are portrayed in society as well. So, on March 16th, 
um, the authorities have been said to receive so many 911 calls from that night of the shooting. And one of the phone calls, you can hear a voice screaming for help, followed by a gunshot noise. And then they started investigating his death and come along until March 20th. They said Trayvon was on the phone with his 16-year-old girlfriend at the time of the shooting. They said the girl basically said that there was an altercation because the line went dead. Then as we go forward on March 22nd, there was a petition on change.org and a lot of you guys know those that site it's basically for anybody who want to create a petition to basically get signatures to stop something to start something you know just to get justice so it's like used for a lot of different things and they also created a petition to call out the arrest of Zimmerman and it was created by the parents of Martin and it went past 1.3 million people to be exact so it was really big at the time and so then we're going into we're still in march we're going you know leading into april march 26th there exactly like one month and one month to one month and a half after martin's passing rallies taking place in cities across the country in florida sanford um they just hold a town meeting of the incident in its aftermath, and his parents were speaking at the meeting. And then March 28th, George's father appears on television and says that Martin threatened to kill his son and then beat him so badly that George was forced to shoot him. And again, I don't think that I understand uh, self-defense and I understand that you have to defend yourself, but sometimes the story do not add up. And just researching and going very in-depth, it does not add up. Like, when somebody passes, you know, the story becomes fabricated. It becomes combobulated. It becomes different, like, because the person's not here to tell their story, so the other person can always make up what they want to make up. So that's how I look look at, like, anything when it comes to, like, any African-American situation. When they pass, people can just make up any story and add any little details, especially when there's no witnesses. So, so um, going into April, George was doing a lot in April. Um, he, on April 3rd, for example, George said, legal advisor Craig says a criminal defense lawyer will represent them. And then April 7th through the 8th, he ended up launching a website warning supporters and groups falsely claiming to be raising funds for his defense. The site includes a link through which donations can be paid for to help him with his lawyers and living expenses. And then April 10th, um, they have his attorneys have been said that they lost contact with George and no longer represent him. And then April 11th, Zimmerman is charged with second degree mur- murder. His new lawyer, Mark, see, Mark tells CNN that Zimmerman has turned himself in. And then. April 20th is when his bond hearing is held, and the judge sets his bond at 150000 During that hearing, he did apologize to the family for the loss of their son. April 23rd, he ended up being released on bail, um, and later in the day, he ended up writing a not guilty plea and waived his right to appear at the arrangement. And then May 8th, the judge accepts his written plea of not guilty. May 15th, 
a medical report did come back um, by Zinnemann's family doctor taken the day after the shooting shows that he was diagnosed with a fractured nose, two black eyes. June 1st, the judge revokes Zinnemann's bond and orders him surrender within 48 hours of the prosecution. Argues that Zinnemann and his wife misrepresented their finances when Zinnemann's bond was originally set in April. Then he ended up surrendering himself in June the 3rd of 2012. And he got a new bond around July 5th, set at $1 million. So, and then, skip forward a couple months, December 7th, Zinnerman, he was suing the NBC Universal for allegedly editing the 911 call of the night of the tragic event. He basically states in the lawsuit that the NBC unfairly made it appear that he was a racist and that he was racially profiling Martin. And if we're being honest, again, being in the african-american community we are racially profiled a lot especially males so around february 9 2013 we're going into the next year um there was a foundation the justice for trayvon martin foundation hosted a day of remembrance community peace walk um and it takes place four days after he would have been um 18 so then april 5th his parents decide to they end up settling for a wrongful death claim against the homeowners association of the florida subdivision where their son was um the incident happened and then april 30th zimmerman waves his right to a senior ground pre-trial immunity hearing and they basically decided that they would instead try this as a self-defense case june 20th an all-female jury is selected, and the trial begins on June 24th. July 13th, the six women find Zinnerman not guilty. They had three choices, find Zinnerman guilty of second degree, find him guilty, guilty of the lesser charge of manslaughter, or find him not guilty. And it took them it took them about 16 hours to come up with um, a plea, and it was not guilty. And then August 28th, his wife ended up pleading guilty to a misdemeanor charge of pre-jury. Um, saying that it was said that she lied during the April 2012 bond hearing for her husband. 2014, the Trayvon Martin Foundation Social Justice Organization established on the campus of Florida Memorial University in Miami Gardens, Florida. And then February 24th of 2015, the U.S. Justice Department announces that no federal rights charges will be brought against Zinnerman. And then December 4th, 2019 is when Zinnerman files a hundred million dollar lawsuit against Martin's parents and so many other people. Now, some reasons that I think why this verdict was this verdict is one because of the charges filed. Um, the big question that a lot of people have is: Does the did the prosecution make a mistake in filing a second degree murder charge against Zinnerman? The problem is that they were overcharged in the very beginning. Second degree murder is defined as Killing carried out with hatred, ill will, or spite, but it's not premeditated. So to, so basically to even charge him with second degree um, murder, to even you know, want to trial him as that, the juries will have to have believe he intentionally committed an act or act that um, caused the passing of Trayvon Martin. A second reason is the evidence presented. You know, evidence play a big um, role in any um, case, no matter what the case is. You know, it could be a 
it could be a murder case, it could be a kidnapping case, it could be a drug case, it could be any type of case. Evidence always plays a huge factor. Definitely in big cases, it plays the most big factor. So basically, Zinnerman's account, what happened the night of the shooting, was a central part of the trial. He was the only one who, he's the only living person who witnessed the entire incident. And there was not much evidence for either team to even fall back on to begin with. And also, it was said to, there was so little blood on both who said he fired in self-defense because he was beaten and he feared for his life at that time. The third one, I would say, the voice on the call, because... Both of their mothers testified that screams for help heard on the 911 calls were those of their son. And whoever voices was on that call will actually say who was the aggressor and who was the, you know, victim. So if Zinnerman was screaming that Martin was the aggressor, they would have said Martin was the aggressor and Zinnerman was the victim. But if Martin, if those was Martin voices, then they would have said Martin was the victim and Zinnerman was the aggressor. They even played the voice of the phone call to his mother and she said she recognized the voice is Trayvon Martin and then they called his mom to the stage and she testified that it was her son. So those are just like three reasons why I think that he basically got out of a charge basically while he was proven not guilty. Also the testimony they believe that he exaggerated a numerous times. He, he said he was hit that night, for example, but didn't feel any. In our perspective, either he was telling the truth or he was a completely pathological liar. Um, also, I also did some research, some more research into this, and I actually found something so interesting. I actually found um, case myths, case myths, myths, case myths, and half truths on that people did research on, and actually found one thing. Um, said, it has been said that cops returned the gun to shooter George, and that was untrue. The gun is now possession of the authorities, and it was a part of the evidence in the case. They said that cops believed Zinnerman had a squeaky clean criminal record, and that was also untrue. Um, even though he described himself as being clean, it has been said that it probably has been made, may have construed it because he has been arrested. For example, 2005, he was arrested at a UFC area bar and charged with resisting arrest without violence. He completed a pretrial diversion program, meaning the case was officially dropped, but he and he wounded up with no conviction in the on his record. It's not clear when, but the police did check um, his criminal record and know about the arrest. Also, they said that the cops tested Trayvon for drugs, but not Zerman. Now, that's true. Trayvon underwent obstetopsy, the same as in every other suspicious death in Florida, and as part of that was tested for drugs, but Zinnerman was not tested because he was not arrested at the time. Another one is says, uh, Sanford, cops usually call prosecutor to the scene of a homicide, but did not that night, which was also true. Then they said Zinnerman fired twice a warning shot in a kill shot. That was also untrue. Two loud, two loud bangs can be heard on the 911 phone call. And they said that there was evidence of two shots, but several witnesses who spoke publicly about what they heard described a single shot. So that's just something really cool. I actually researched and found out and really crazy that they did have, you know, some myths and truths to um, the stories. And 
like I said, when someone passes, it's very hard to really tell what happened because that person's not alive. And a lot of people, especially when they're fighting a case, fabricates all the time when it comes to situations. You know, they add details that shouldn't be added or was not there just to make themselves look better, just to get off. So basically, my my opinion of this whole case when I heard about this case like numerous times um, and researched this case like two weeks straight because, again, I was sick, so I just researched. And it's just crazy to me, like, from the beginning to, like, this end, you know, just, just like, reading and researching and knowing that this teenager passed away because of the fact that someone might have fabricated because they probably just, they didn't listen. Like, if a police officer tells you to stay in the car, then you should have stayed in the car. You know, and then for his father to say that he was going to the store and he lost his life just walking to the store. You know, we never know what actually went down, but it's just no one should have lost their lives in this situation. Personally, it always saddens me definitely when parents loses their lot like their children's like lives when they have to realize that one of their children passed away in the hands of someone else because they're racist or they made up a lie. We never really knew what George um attentions was, especially when you're being charged for second degree murder and like I told you guys what it meant. I don't know. It's just like really it's just a really crazy situation and it's just really sad that like someone was taken so young and he's not he he's not the first and unfortunately he's never gonna be the last. But it's just that's just crazy. It went from one situation and it spread it across the world and became so known so quickly and they fought and for him to not have been like charged for him to walk away freely when someone's gone is just it amuses me so much like it really it really like it makes me so mad (laughs) it's just crazy and it's just it's just a sad thing it really is and even when I'm like listening to other people talk about this I've heard so many people talk about this incident and they're just like he's living his life where he's on here making money by doing interviews and just look like he has no remorse and he just doesn't care so it's just like he should have got some type of sentence his family Martin's family should have got justice like they deserve justice especially when yes we don't know what's going on but you know, and we wasn't there, and we are not witnesses, but it's hard, it's just really hard to believe that this, this teenager, this boy, this male, beat this man, and threatened to kill this man, he had no weapons or anything, so it's just like, like, he's a teenager, and you're in college, like, you should have had some common sense, so... That's just what I really feel about. That's just the overall about what a little bit about Trayvon Martin and just how this case evolved over time and just what happened from the beginning and from when he was proven not guilty. Just like a little bit of my opinion because my opinion because because in total my opinion is just like he should have never it should have never happened. He should still be here today with his parents. He should be, you know, enjoying his life in college. He should be pursuing his dreams. Like, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be where he's at. Like, that's just, that's just, like, the bottom line. So, but 
Thank you guys again for tuning in for episode three. It was it feels so good to be back and just like talking about what I love and just being able to spread knowledge. I'm going to keep this going and keep pushing and just, you know, just putting the knowledge and helping other people understand what it's like and what happens in the African-American community. So I hope you guys have a wonderful night and a wonderful Sunday if you're listening on a Saturday or just a wonderful week. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving as well. So again, thank you for tuning in for episode three. This is your host, Dabo Host with the Unarmed and Harm podcast. And I can't wait to see you guys next Saturday. Bye.